Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Love you, respect you. And uh, I know part of your story that you lived was that you didn't have much of a leg to stand on from kind of like what Rick was saying as far as starting fatherhood with a deficit and uh, not having given much to emulate. And you have been a fantastic father. Love you, respect you, and I'm so grateful for your example. And uh, and then for for me and my kids, my boys, if the Lord blesses them with kids, uh, I uh, hope you continue to be a better father than me. And so happy Father's Day, fathers. And uh, with that, we are jumping into our series. If you're new with us, newer, my name is Pat Lassard. I get to be one of the pastors here. We have a preaching team that shares the load from week to week. And I am finishing up this series full. It's a three-week sermon series uh, on finances. Jesus talked a lot about money. Uh, We talk a little about money. And uh, it's really for the purpose of shepherding the heart and discipling us, helping us continue to grow in Christ-likeness. And uh, we did this on the heels of an 18-week sermon series on the life of David, which is pretty awesome, right? That was pretty cool. That was great. So excited about full. We're talking full. And it's really around, and I see our ushers in the back with Bibles. Uh, You guys can go ahead and come on up. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll be glad to help you out with one. I'll be reading primarily through the New Living Translation, NLT, but we have an English Standard Version for you if you want to help uh, track along. We'll also have the scriptures on the screen too. So this series about finances and giving uh, is um, around the law. We had two weeks ago, we had Damien, teach on pre-law. He looked at Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, and he looked at uh, Abel's giving to God, the first act of worship. It's a beautiful, wonderful story, and giving his first and best to God. And uh, something that he said that's been really true throughout all of uh, the sermons in this series is God wants your trust, not your obligation. God wants your trust, not your obligation. And that really sets the kind of heart and stage of it. As even as we got into the law with Scott last week, talking about the Mosaic law, think 10 commandments, those civil laws, uh, those ceremonial laws, and all those things around that, the law and the prophets of what God wants to communicate, his heart is the same throughout it all. As As we're talking about the law, even Jesus' life was during the law. We'll get to that in a moment. And so as Jesus was with his disciples in the temple, he had an example that he highlighted to his followers and saying, check that out. Okay, there's an amazing example here. And that was with the widow, the widow's mites. She gave a penny. Now you had, in contrast, you had the scribes, the the, uh, authorities of the law, and their example, they had, think about like, uh, what is it? Clear, Clear's House, how do you say that? Cl- Publisher's Clearing House. Think about Publisher's Clearing House and those big checks of going, hey, take my picture, right? Pomp and circumstance. Look at me, how much I'm giving. Aren't I generous? 
I'm such a good person, right? These huge checks. That's what the scribes were doing, public display of how generous they are. Jesus says their reward, they already got it, right? Uh, But those that give beyond what letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing, there's eternal reward, okay? And he highlights this gal, this lady who gave a penny. Scott said, the scribes were posers, Remember that. The scribes were posers. They, they, they posed saying, look how godly and spiritual we are. But then you had this contrast of this gal being the real deal. And she fulfilled the law by giving the penny. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart, right? Her depth and faith and trust in God was evident by her giving. That was within the law. And then now we're talking about post-law. That's today as we wrap this up. When we mean post-law, we mean the work that Jesus did on the cross. And then from this day forward to the current era, current day, new covenant era, church era, us here since the cross. So a few verses I want to highlight here in this. One of them being Jesus' words about the law. Matthew 5, verse 17 and verse 18 say this, it says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest part, an iota, a dot will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. Jesus's life fulfilled the law. He says, this is what it looks like to be obedient, to be righteous, to walk in justice, to walk in mercy, to fulfill the law, to love God, to love others. His life is the example of what it meant to fulfill the law in addition to his death, which we'll continue on. But I want to highlight for us, when you think of the law, God's law, do not think bad. Think good. God's law, good. Okay, not bad. Everybody say God's law, good. God's law, good. Okay, think about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This guy, he's going to be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And its seasons will bear fruit, and his leaves will not wither, and everything that he does will prosper. Law, good. Jesus fulfilled it. And then he especially fulfilled it by his death. And we look to Hebrews 9. I I won't read it, but I encourage you to check it out. Hebrews 9 talks about Jesus, his death fulfilling the law. His death met the legal requirements of the law. Sin deserved retribution. It It deserved payment. Our sin, the world's sin, God is a just God. He's not a fair God. There is a difference. Okay, if God was fair and life was fair and we got everything that was fair and we want things to be fair, we would get our own deserved punishment. But because God is not fair, but he's just, 
He gave that to his son. He poured out his wrath on his son. And God himself, the son, took the punishment on our behalf. And therefore, he fulfilled, amen, the requirements of the law. In addition to fulfilling the requirements of the law, Hebrew 9, he also set into motion the will, the legal will of God. Think about a will. Perhaps some of you have been beneficiaries of a will within your family. I haven't. I'm hoping one day there's a secret uncle that had something. Uh, So far, that's not the case. I've only heard about these stories, okay? But maybe some of you have been, lived that, okay? So the will is only in effect once someone, The will is only in effect when that happens. It's only paper before then. But once they die, then that legally puts into effect the will and then therefore the distribution of benefits to the beneficiaries, including the inheritance. Okay, so Jesus terms, Hebrews 9, his death fulfilled the will and the share of his inheritance to all the beneficiaries those that belong to the family of God. How many of you, that's you? Amen. You've been adopted in, and there's family language, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, the father, the son, adopted in, inheritance. That's all family language of the will being established because of the death, okay? That's all post-law. It established there, post-law from there. I want to highlight a few things about the death of Jesus and the exchange that took took place in this time. Here are eight exchanges that took place from Jesus to all those that believe, will believe, will follow him and be his disciples. Number one, Jesus took your punishment so that you might be forgiven. Number two, Jesus suffered your wounds that you might be healed. Number three, Jesus was made sin so that you might be made righteous. Number four, Jesus died your death so you might share in his life. Jesus became a curse that you might receive a blessing. Number six, Jesus bore your shame that you might share his glory. Number seven, Jesus endured your rejection that you might receive his acceptance. And then number eight, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. It's from our passage today. Jesus became poor so that you might receive his riches. Amen? Amen. There's a lot. He gave up a lot so that you would have a lot because of love. Because of love. So post-law. Jesus, what he did on the cross, and how he continues to carry that out. That's what we're looking at today, talking about God-honoring, generous giving as we seek to follow his example. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're just going to walk through verse by verse of this, and uh, excited to do that. We're going to look at the New Living Translation because of the flowability of it. That's a real word. I love it. The flowability of it. Think about like baking soda versus sugar. Like baking soda doesn't flow well, but sugar's like, psh, you know. So the flowability, the readability of this story of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 15. And we're going to start off with verse 1. That's a good place to start, don't you think? 
Um, one last thing about the New Living Translation is it's still true to the text. Even though this is a thought-for-thought thought translation, the integrity of the text still stands, okay, compared to ESV and what we do with the normal word-for-word uh, -word translation. So here we go. Verse 1, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. And we're going to pause there, okay? Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, hey, I want you to know what God has done through these churches in this one area, the Macedonian area, okay? If you've been in your Bibles and been a Christian for some time, you know about a couple of these churches. There's some letters written already to some of these churches. I'm going to show you a map here of the Macedonia area. There's Macedonia. And then in there, there's Thessalonica as well as Philippi. So First and Second Thessalonians is to the church there in Thessalonica, which is a part of Macedonia. Philippians is written to the church in Philippi, which is a part of Macedonia. So think about those churches, those letters, those people, when Paul's saying, here's an example I want you to follow. This is a model. These are model churches for you to follow their example in. When you think about model churches, think about ones that you know about that, that lead our nation in certain things, that lead internationally in certain things, whether that's by worship, their example is something amazing. By their prayer ministry, their example is amazing. By their teaching and preaching and theology, by their social work, social service, social justice efforts, community reconciliation efforts, by their discipleship efforts, by their missional efforts, by their church planting efforts, or whatever it may be. These model churches that lead our nation or that lead internationally. Paul's saying, it's like that. These guys are leading the way, paving the way when it comes to generosity. Okay? So they are model churches for us. Second goes to verse 2. They are being tested by many troubles and they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflown into rich generosity. They are passing the squeeze test. Okay? The squeeze test, you're familiar with it. When life is putting the squeeze on you and pressure is applied, what's inside of you comes out. Right? Good or bad? Now, we often think bad of uh, many of us go, when, when stress, trauma, crisis, pressure is applied, I react, blah, 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 okay? That, don't give Satan opportunity in that for condemnation. Don't go there. Resist that. Follow God and what he wants to do there. The reason he would allow you to see that is because of his grace, and he wants you to follow him in more grace. He wants you to follow him in ways that Christ has not been formed in you yet. So as you pass the squeeze test, or fail the squeeze test in that way, he's highlighting areas in your life where he just wants more of him in you. Make sense? He wants more grace in you. He wants Jesus formed in you more. So partner with him in that as you fail the squeeze test. But then also as you pass the squeeze test, I bet that's true too. 
So as life puts its pressure on you and squeezes you, crisis, trauma, whatever happens, and there's something beautiful that happens, and you show up in a strong way, in a mature way, in a seasoned way, something that's been forged by fire, suffering, struggle, things that he's already done in you, praise God for him in that too. That's what happened here. So as they pass the squeeze test, there's something that came out of them, and it leads to our first point here. God honoring and generous giving is full of joy. Is full of joy. We see that they are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they're also filled with, as squeeze was on them, this is what came out, abundant joy, which is overflown in rich generosity. We know, biblically, from a biblical worldview compared to a secular, non-believing worldview, we have a very different view on the word joy. A biblical worldview uh, of joy is that there is a deep satisfaction within that beyond circumstances, that transcends, that is above and beyond our circumstance, that there is still peace. There is still joy. There is still a happiness. There is still a resolution. There is still a satisfaction deep within because it's all good. I'm with God. God's with me. God's got it. Wherever I go, he's with me. And it's no different for them because it doesn't look very good. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Circumstances, not great. Materially suffering, but it's all good. You know what I mean? Whereas the world's definition is, it has to be my way. I have to have what I want to have when I want to have it. If I don't have it that way, I'm going to whine and complain and throw a fit and melt down, right? And be dissatisfied and discontent. And that's not what God's called us to. God honoring and generous giving is full of joy because it's rooted in God, which leads to this next piece, which is where he goes. God honoring and generous giving is full of worship. Verse three says this, for I can testify that they gave, actually I'll get to five here. Let me keep reading. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And then here's verse five. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to, what does it say? Give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. God honoring and generous giving is full of worship. And that comes from a place of giving yourself to the Lord first. Prayers like, God, use me however you see fit. God, Spend me however you like. God, here I am. You give yourself to the Lord first. It's that worship, like Romans 12 says, that our lives are on the altar of his as a living sacrifice. Everything that we do, we walk before him with God in view, knowing he's in charge, he's on the throne, he's our Lord, we follow him. He doesn't follow us. It's not genie in the Bible and we rub it having three wishes and then we want him to sprinkle a little blessing and Jesus over our lives and our agenda and our plan. That's the American Christianity. That's not what we're called to. He's Lord. He's the boss, right? We follow him. 
So we give ourselves to him first. And then check it out. The, the natural overflow, the natural byproduct of that is then we gave ourselves to others. We gave ourselves to the Lord first and then to us. As we love God, it overflows into love for others. And that fulfills the law as we walk out fulfilling the law. God honoring and generous giving is full of worship. He goes on here in verse 6. So we have urged Titus, fellow brother, leader here in this process, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel, verse 7 here, in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Since you're doing these things, you guys are doing great. You're, you're, you're great at this. You're doing this awesome. This is fruit of God at work in your life. This is evidence of God growing you, maturing you in your life. Keep going. It makes me think of 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. In order for you to stay effective and productive in your relationship with Jesus, add to your faith good morals. And to good morals, add to good morals knowledge. And to knowledge, add to your knowledge self-control. Add to self-control brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection agape love, unconditional love, and steadfastness, and, and, and. You believe, that's awesome, keep going. You believe, keep growing. You're doing awesome at these things, keep growing. God honoring and generous giving is full of growth. It's full of growth. How are you doing? How are you growing? Add to your faith. You're doing good here, 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 and here. Keep going. Keep growing. How are you growing? How are you growing? What's he doing in you, and are you participating with him in that? Are you following him, being changed by him, committed to his mission? That's what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is that. They're doing that. And he's highlighting. Paul's saying, look at their example. They're doing it. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. I think this verse is interesting. I'm not going to make you do this. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not going to come down there and twist your arm, right? I'm not commanding you to do this. But I am testing you. I am doing a heart check, like Scott was saying last week, a temperature check. How's your temperature? Are you cold? Are you hot? Where are you at? Are you responsive? Where are you at? What's the temperature? In this case, what's the temperature of your giving? What's the temperature of your God-honoring God honoring and generous giving and living? So, and I'm going to do that in a way of comparing you. Okay, I'm going to compare you to how you guys are doing to how these guys are doing. They are exemplary. Okay, follow their example. It's going to look different and that's okay. Okay, so 
what here, I'm going to slow down a little bit in this time, and uh, I want to just kind of highlight a, a number of things and kind of sit in this, this part of being full of heart. That's the fill in the blank for this one here. God honoring and generous giving is full of heart because it's not about the amount. And I hope, I assume, this is going to be crystal clear in and through this. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. God cared about that pre-law, law, and post-law. It's not about the amount. You don't have to look very far for this point. Last week's message about the widow. How much did she give? This is a quiz. Who is listening? A penny, right? She gave a penny, right? It was not about the amount. But Jesus said she gave more. Earthly, humanly speaking, that doesn't make any sense. Kingdom-wise, spiritually, that makes all the sense in the world. Her motives, right, were pure before the Lord. She was generous and she gave out of her deficit. And they, the scribes, the posers, gave out of their abundance. They were faking it. She was real. It was about her heart. That's what matters most to the Lord. It's not about the amount. There's a fellow that I had the opportunity to disciple for a number of years named Daniel. And I remember part of his story regarding trusting God and generosity is having money in his wallet was a very important thing for him. Having cash to his name. And he sat in service one time and he believed God was calling him to give his last dollar. And so he hesitantly, reluctantly says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And he gave the last dollar and put it in his bucket. You know, he's like, ah, he's kind of like sacrificing his manhood in this part. And God blessed him. And God blessed him and showed up in a way in his life that it was evident all these years later where he's saying, God's saying to him, I see you. I know you. I know what you did. I know what that sacrifice was. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the heart. And I see you and I got you. It's not about the amount, but it is about the heart. It is about the heart. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 says this. So this is the first letter wrote to this church, the Corinthian church, right? On the first day of the week, question here, what's the frequency Every week. On the first day of the week, each of you, who's you? <laughs> is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. Now this second letter, he's following up about that. That's part, Titus is going to come and all that stuff. And so on the first day of the week, so there's a frequency, a recurring, which they're talking about the first day of the week is the Lord's day. It's Sunday. It's the day Jesus was resurrected. On the first day of the week, that frequency, every week, each of you as individuals, we together do this combined effort and we store it up. So in the NIV, it says, set aside a portion of your income for this giving. What do you think they would have in mind as far as a portion? The majority of them would think a tithe. The majority of them, now these are Gentiles here, but we know certainly for the Jews that they would be thinking tithe. And we know from last week that there was the tithe, the 10% piece going to the storehouse, the temple, the church. But then there's also above and beyond the tithe that continued to equate to 23.5%. Now, post-law, 
at the cross, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And so now what do we do? The standard is generous giving. And so what is generous? Well, it has to do with the heart. It's not about the amount. So one of us, and, and you see that, you see that in these examples, you could give, let's say 10%, many people believe, many churches, many leaders believe that that's a baseline, a starting place, okay, a baseline standard. And so you could give 10% and it's, it is right on with God. God's like, you're doing good and, and you're, I'm blessing you and I'm supporting what you're doing and, and your heart is synced up with me because it's about the heart. Why is it about the heart? Because the number one competitor of our hearts and the throne of our heart is money and stuff. Amen? You bet it is. Every single one of us, myself included, right? We're Americans and we're human. We have two things against us, right? And so, so you could give 10% and you could be right on. You could give 10% and you could be ripping God off. Because it's not about the amount. It's about what God has entrusted to you. It's about what God has given to you. It's about you being faithful with what God's given you. It's about what God has called you to. It's not about the amount. So don't get too hung up about that. But there are these standards and baselines and guides and going, okay, Lord, you called me to generous giving in this new covenant, New Testament, church area, post-law. How do I walk under grace with what you've provided for me? How do I support what you've called me to? Do you know that 60% of Christians don't know what the word tithe means? And some of it, it'll be informative for some of you right now. That's great. A tithe means 10%. It means 10%. So as we give, we receive 100% for the work that we've done that he may prosper as God has provided for me that I would give a portion of that, right? And, uh, and that 10% meaning the tithe. So, and then an offering is above and beyond that. So as we, as our family gives to the church, there's other places that we give too, but it starts with giving to the church. Some Christians, they don't give to the church at all. They give, they're like, oh yeah, I give, I'm generous, but I give all sorts of these other places. I just don't support the work of God that God's doing in his establishment at the church. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere, just for saying, okay? I, I would encourage you to have a conversation with the Lord and the word of God with what he, he, what he calls you to in that. And we'd love to be able to walk with you through that. Now, above and beyond, we're free to do whatever we want in supporting whatever God would call us to, Okay. I'm going to introduce you to some stats that are specific to us. I, I thought it appropriate as he goes, hey, I want to test your genuine love by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Uh, here are some charts. This is a pie chart of us. This is us. You, me, we all fit into this. And so this last ministry year, this is our percentage of what we have. Um, our ministry year starts July 1st. Okay, it goes along with the fiscal year. It's our ministry calendar year. And we have 529 identified givers. And then there's a percentage of, you know, whatever those are. 12%, 10,000 plus, 14%, and you can read. Okay? So now I want to inform you because it's helpful for us to go, hey, where are we and how are we doing? What's the kind of temperature check of how well we're doing? Well, we can't draw any conclusions of this because uh, it's between you and the Lord of going, how am I doing? 
where do I fall within that in comparison to what God has given me is really and what God has called me to? Am I walking before you honestly and genuinely? I've already shared with you two examples of someone that's done right before the Lord that gave the dollar, right? The widow, she gave a penny. She'd fall under that, right? My friend Daniel, he gave a dollar and he was right where he needed to be at that time. Now, if he is 15 years later still given that dollar, that's not where God's called him to, right? Continued growth and maturity investment, which is our heart and our part. We as church leaders, our intent is to disciple you, help Christ be formed in you in all that God would have for you. And we do this in a way that we say, if you're at North Shore Christian Church, praise God. And if you're not at North Shore Christian Church and you're a part of one of the other awesome churches in our area, if you're at Venture or you're at Pursuit or you're at Gold Creek or you're at Canyon Hills or you're at Bethany or you're at that, that, we want you to give there. So if you happen to get upset at this or something else, hey, I'm going, I'm packing up my toys and I'm going. Don't go there and just take. Give where you receive. Be a part of the solution and what God's doing there. So if it's here, fantastic. Let's go, right? We're on God's mission and God's work and the kingdom work here, okay? If you're gonna be a part of there, go and give there, right? Go and serve there. Go and support there. Go and invest for God's work that he's doing in and through his local churches, okay? One more slide I want to show you in relationship to this and attendance is this. We have about uh, 1,200 people that call North Shore Christian Church their home. You don't have to be scared about some of these numbers like the zero even. Uh, it could be a going, oh, shoot, you know, I, I'm one of those. You, okay, God, what are you talking to me about? But then there's others that are on that, even within my own family, that are part of that zero percent that their giving is through me. I'm the one that's paying the bills and writing the checks, right? And so even my wife and my daughter, they're giving. It just happens to be through me, and they are on that percentage that's not. But it is helpful in knowing how that flows to care for the needs of the body and the work that God is doing. I hope this is informative. I hope it's instructive, and I hope that it's, it's helpful for what God's called us to. Because giving is about three things. It's about faith. It's about worship. It's about investment. It's about God, you are my provider. You are my sustainer. I trust you more than my stuff. It's about worship. God, I give to you in worship of you. Some of you pay automatically, right? You have automatic bill pay and whatever. Don't let that get in the way of it being worshipful for you. As you're here in this service and we do offering, pause and say, God, thank you for what you've given me and entrusted to me. You can take that slide down, Earl. But glorify your name, God. What I give, bless it. God, advance your work in and through this church, okay? As well as investment, investment spiritually, investment kingdom-wise, investment eternally. What is he doing through his local church? We have a vision to see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. What we give here never just stays here. We're on mission with him. And so with that, I think we're ready to move on to our next point. Actually, the last thing I want to say here. Average combined household income of Snohomish County, okay? 
and that's that. Average combined, meaning the majority of people have two earners within a home, is $118,000. And then for the state of Washington, average household combined income is $111,000. Now, average means 50% of the people earn more than that, and average means 50% of people earn less than that. It's about what God has entrusted to you, right? We're going to be all over that in different parts of that. And so, Lord, as you call me to whatever it is you've entrusted to me, do I partner with you in the things that you're doing wherever you're at, okay? God honoring and generous giving isn't about the amount. It's about the heart. And it all comes from this key verse here. This is the most important verse in this section, and it's verse 9. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty he could make you healthy, wealthy, and wise and always have a brand new car. No. That he'd provide for you. He has eternal spiritual blessings far beyond material possession. And he, though he owns everything as God, he became like you and me. And then he died a criminal's death, taking on our pain, our suffering that was deserving of us. He took that on so that by his poverty, he could invite you into the family. And think about this in Luke 15. As the older son is whining and complaining that the father hadn't thrown him a party and he didn't have a goat that was roasted, the father comes out to that older son and he says, all that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. God has given you everything that he has. And we get to continue to learn and grow and walk in all that that means up until eternity. So it's from that that all the rest of these points flow. God honoring and generous giving is full of commitment. We see this in verse 10 and 11. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first that wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning match now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. It's easy to start going, oh, man, I feel motivated. Or, man, God, I know that you're calling me to this and I'm going to step out in obedience. And even for them, it's hard to continue to walk in that and there's a lot of distractions along the way. God honoring and generous giving is full of commitment. God, I continue to trust you. I continue to step out in faith and say, I know you're my provider. I know you're my sustainer. God, I continue to worship you in what you have given to me. It's all yours anyways. And you ask me to follow you in that generous giving, whatever that is. I put my worship in you. And I continue to invest in your work beyond what I, my kingdom. It's not about my kingdom and building up my kingdom. That's the American way. It's about God's kingdom and building and investing in his work. So it's full of commitment as well as this. It's full of wisdom. And I love this part where he goes here. It's full of wisdom. God honoring, generous giving, full of wisdom. 
Verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. It's about the heart. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. A couple things I think about in this. I think about false teachers. This is a key common denominator among false teachers. They live luxuriously off of the givings of the poor and the suffering. You should give towards those that you know their ministry and their lifestyle is consistent with Jesus and who they are on stage is who they are off stage and who they are Sunday is who they are Monday through Saturday and their life is consistent with Jesus's life. Their character is consistent with Jesus's life. They're not hypocrites and they're not taking advantage of people and then living this un-Jesus-like luxurious life. I love that it says that. You should not be giving to make life easy for others and hard on yourselves. I love that wisdom. God honoring and generous giving is full of wisdom. And then a real small practical piece. Some of you give with credit cards. Okay, that's great. That could be great. Uh, I hope you're not hurting yourself in that process. It could be just a practical thing of, uh, hey, I get these benefits as I use the card, and that's fantastic. There's a small piece of it that's informative for you. Um, uh, You can show that picture up here. But there's a small little box on our website that if you click that box, then we don't pay the 2.2%. Thus far this year, Uh, this ministry year, we've paid $30,000 in credit card fees. So that's helpful if you click that box and own that so that we can continue to use those funds, all of them, for the advancement of kingdom ministry and not just paying for credit card processing, okay? Then, so that's like credit card specific, okay? And then there's a couple credit cards of mine if you want to use, those are helpful. Uh, You can use that too. They're both expired, but yeah. Okay, so that's a small wisdom piece as well. God honoring, generous giving is full of wisdom as well as full of interdependence. Interdependence. Going on to verse 14. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they'll have plenty and can share with you when you're in need. In this way, things will be equal. God honoring, generous giving is full of interdependence. Notice that I did not say independence. Not self-sufficiency, but interdependence. Think about the family, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, father, son, adoption. It's the family. It's the family piece that we share in that part and that process together. We belong to one another and we're supposed to share in that. That's God's design, not the American way. And lastly, full of faith. God honoring and generous giving is full of faith. He finishes with this verse. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left and those who gathered only a little had enough. That's from Exodus 16, which is the story of manna. And the people of God out in the desert, they're whining and complaining and grumbling. And then God says, all right, I'm going to provide for you. And I give you manna. What is it? It's miraculous bread. I'm going to meet your needs every single day. And then from there, It's going to be a test of faith if you'll be obedient to me and listen to my instructions. And then on the sixth day, I want you to get twice as much, okay? 
And then on the seventh day, I don't want you to get any. It's about Sabbath. It's about rest, which is also about trusting. So he's bringing this to our attention. And I want to highlight two things from this. God, these are principles. God can do more with your 90% or less, whatever that is, for example, than you can do with your 100% of income. God can do more with your less than you can do with your all. Same thing with the time. Same thing with the time. God can do more with your six days of work and toil and so on than you can do in all seven, having all that time and space to work as much as you can. He wants you to trust him because it's about faith. Regarding the finance piece of it, God says, test me in this in Malachi. Test me. Check me out. See that I'm not faithful and keep my promises. Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and see that I will not take care of all the things you're so easily worried about as a human down here. God honoring generous giving is full of faith. And with that, I'm done talking at you. And we're just going to, yeah, yeah, he's done talking. <laughs> I love it. We're just going to finish this time. We don't have a closing song. We're just going to finish this time in prayer. There's a lot in that passage, a lot of points in that. And we just want to take a moment for you to have a conversation with the Lord. What's he highlighting? Many of you are disciple makers. God's called every single one of us to be disciple makers. Money and stuff is the number one competitor of the throne of our hearts. God wants to use you to help form Jesus-like maturity in others. How does he want to use you to help walk alongside others in things that you've learned and, and he's taught you to grow in? He wants you to invest and pass on and come alongside others that he's brought in your path. And others, we have things that he's stirring in us. What's he speaking to you? What conversation do you need to have? Maybe there's encouragement. Keep going. You're doing great. Maybe there's other things like, all right, Lord. <laughs> okay. What are you calling me to? Let's take some time to pray. God, we want to thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for your graciousness. You graciously, patiently meet us where we're at. You bring us along this process of continuing to form Christ in us. Knowing what our weaknesses are, knowing things you're wanting to stretch us in, grow us in. 
God, continue to form yourself in us. Those things we're doing well, continue to fan those into flames. Those things you've already taught us, continue, Lord, to help us pass on to others. Invest in others, pour into others, come alongside others for their freedom, for their growth, for their healing, for their maturing. Those areas that maybe are unsurrendered to you or we're holding on. And God, help us, Lord. We believe, help us in our unbelief. You're way better, God. Pray you'd glorify yourself in and through us. Glorify yourself in this church, in this place. God, that we would see our communities change through hope in Jesus one person at a time. We would care about keeping the main thing the main thing. Do your work in us, Lord. Do what only you can do. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Blessings to you guys. Love you guys. Happy Father's Day. Have a great day.